Welcome all, Max of the Accidental Engineer here. Today we have the pleasure of Kat Gordienko rejoining us from having previously been on the show. Uh, for our audience that uh, might be curious about what you've been up to uh, since we last chatted with you, you were previously at Netflix for quite a few years. Uh, tell us about what you've been up to, Kat. Yeah, thank you so much for having me again on this beautiful day. Um, I remember talking to you about a year ago and I was at Netflix and I was uh, doing data engineering analytics stuff. And since then I have made quite a few pivots. Um, I stayed at Netflix until January of this year and that made it five years total uh, of my career there. And I decided to venture out and explore other opportunities. Um, took some time off, traveled for a month and a half in Europe, lived in New York for a month and a half, uh, and now I'm back in San Francisco and I am going to try myself in a startup world. I know something our audience would be super curious to hear about is that I know as part of your hiatus or your sabbatical from working that you were in New York. What were you doing in New York? Good question. <laughs> Actually, in New York, I enrolled in this program or center called uh, Recurse Center, and um, it's not necessarily a boot camp and not necessarily a school. Um, it is more of a, an educational retreat for programmers. And in all honesty, this might sound like a funny comparison, but it's kind of like Burning Man for programmers. <laughs> okay. um, you go there every day and you work on projects that you're passionate about. So if you want to learn any kind of code, uh, you're welcome to either you know, pair up with somebody who knows it already or read books and organize a workshop and teach people what you've learned or whatnot. And uh, for the month and a half that I was there, people are super interested in Rust. Like That's the newest, uh, hottest thing on the block. I didn't get into it, but that's what I heard from my uh, teammates. There. What, what, what were you interested in doing going into it? I was specifically looking into AI and machine learning. And in fact, prior to leaving Netflix, I, I took a class uh, for a few months, specifically learning machine learning and you know building models uh, from the very scratch, from the very beginning. Um, and that motivated me to explore other opportunities um, and contributed to my decision to to leave eventually. While your teammates at Recurse or your classmates at Recurse might have been learning Rust, uh, how did you just strike out independently and, and do self-studied reading, self-directed reading? What, what kind of resources did you reach for? It's actually funny because I think I was the outlier there. Okay. Uh, for people who attend the center, it is more really like a retreat. Um, and quite a few folks were actually uh, doing machine learning and AI, but more like, you know, making music with AI or drawing art and so forth, image recognition. And I was more serious about it in a sense that, you know, I've always been passionate about finance, especially personal finance and how it empowers individuals and, you know, frees you up to live life to the fullest. Uh, and so I was studying more like algos on transaction classifications and uh, how ML is applied in fintech these days. So my use case was not as fun or it, you know creative as like creating art, but that's what I was studying. 
So would you look at uh, checking accounts, transactions, for example, and try to identify which ones were, you know, retail spending versus what have you? Yeah, so actually my mini project was connecting all my bank accounts in one place uh, using uh, this bank aggregator API and extracting how that aggregator does classifications and then there are some independent algos that can do the same on their own and comparing the two and, and seeing you know which one is better and mine was starting to perform better so nice. <laughs> there's some hope there nice do you mind sharing for our audience that might be more machine learning inclined the types of algos that you were using that seem to outperform of course, um, there's actually a whole paper that I, I got into written by, I think it was Norwegian university professors, and I can send you a link if sure. that's helpful to include in the notes or whatnot. Um, but it was more on uh, you know, natural language processing, where you look in transaction descriptions and you parse out, like, is there like a restaurant word in there? Or is there like, you know, airplane ticket or something? Um, and, and you just build on top of that more and more. Um, so there's a lot of NLP. Um, there was, in my case, I started uh, putting together some clustering because for my personal uh, curiosity, I wanted to know, like, how do I compare against, you know, the rest of uh, America in terms of spending on coffee or shopping or whatnot? Um, and that was interesting. And I was able to get some public information from the internet, of course, very depersonalized uh, to see, like on average, how the, the spending habits look for the rest of the population. So that was kind of my mini project that it was for my personal uh, benefit. Is there any kind of capstone to doing a recurse center retreat or, or did you carry forward the work that you were doing researching how to classify uh, financial transactions to after leaving the Re Recurse Center. Yeah, so the the uh, motto of Recurse Center is never graduate. Uh, so that means you know you never really get there ever. Uh, you just continue learning. Um, there was not necessarily a capstone, and it, it was literally you know if you do feel like your project is somewhat done, please do share with people and and get as much feedback as possible. But if you don't. You know, you're not going to get punished for it. And Recurse Center itself is an amazing place, I think, to to go and, and experience. It's absolutely free. You do have to apply, and you go through, I think, a round of three interviews. Um, and it's you don't have to have you know a ton of experience coding. Uh, you can be like two weeks into it or 20 years into it. Uh, it they look more into your maybe cultural fit and your uh, interests and how you're going to contribute to to the community and it's a pretty tight-knit community uh, while you're there and then after you graduate what, what's the business model how are, are they a physical space that have to pay rent like what's the what's they the are a physical space that's yeah that's another good question uh, they do refer you they place you uh, with employers if you're looking for uh, a corporate job if you're not it's not a uh, requirement at all so in my case, I knew I was not looking for uh, a job immediately, and it was absolutely fine. I know there are, there are other pro programs out there where it, it is uh, kind of expected that they will get 100% placement you know, with, from their alumni. Um, Recurse Center is a little different. Got it, got it. 
Well, now that you're you're done with the self-study, what are you up to now? I am looking into getting deeper into AI and ML and thinking about a couple of ideas for a startup. Uh, they're not quite vetted out yet, and I am enrolled in this Founder Institute, which is yet another organization <laughs> uh, after Recurse Center, where I am working on startup ideas. I know this might be premature, but I think I'm curious about what are the startup ideas that you're currently most intrigued by or think have the most promise perhaps? Sure. Um, it's still within fintech world and I started with more like personal finance management and the idea was to create something like Mint. I don't know if you are familiar with Mint or if you've ever used it. Very. <laughs> so for our audience that don't know, I work full time as a software engineer at Personal Capital and we're also a financial account aggregator, although kind of on the higher end versus Mint that Mint is for managing budgets and cash flow where personal capital aggregates your different financial accounts for tracking your investments and your portfolio's worth. So I am intimately familiar with Mint, but for audience that are curious, you should check out both Mint and personal capital. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what what is it about Mint or, or how how is their space uh, outside of Mint? Different, yeah. Um, so I see Mint and personal capital as, um, I guess, one category of uh, personal finance management transactions Um, and personal capital is a little different from Betterment and Wealthfront, right? Where they do analyze your investments, but I don't know if they do like robo-advisory and um, automatic allocations. Do they? So Betterment and Wealthfront do not provide account aggregation product where you can track your portfolios. Mm but yeah, all, all Betterment, Wealthfront, Personal Capital all offer financial advisory services mm-hmm. where Betterment and Wealthfront are 100% or near 100% automated management mm-hmm. of your finances if you choose to give them your money for investing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Personal Capital has full-time employee um, financial advisors who are what are called RIAs or mm-hmm. fiduciaries. Yeah who are legally obligated to act in your best interest. So if they don't act in your best interest, you have legal recourse. Yeah. Uh, I I can't speak that clearly to the distinction between the models, but Mm -hmm. um, that that is a big distinguishing factor between Betterment Wealthfront and personal capital. Got it, yeah. So I was thinking something around uh, those lines and adding in uh, taxes. Uh, taxes are pain for people in general uh, and you know come ta- tax day it's, it's a very much dreaded day for a lot of folks so I was thinking to create something that if you think about Gantt chart uh, personal finance management and uh, robo advisory investments and then third piece would be uh, tax filing or even tax advice during the year uh, and that would be for personal management or for personal usage. Um, and the idea there is if you are a mint or personal capital, you already have all the information about the individual, right? About their income, about their expenses, um, if they had any independent 1099 work, maybe. Uh, so just taking that information and filling out tax forms uh, to the best degree possible, and then, you know, letting either the person or their uh, CPA do the rest. 
So that was the idea. Um, and then that evolved from uh, B2C to more of a B2B idea where for uh, the self-employed and sole proprietors and small business owners uh, just focusing on taxes. And we had a third pivot uh, just this last week. Uh, it's still around financial management, financial, m- maybe even regulatory reporting. Um, and again, it's a B2B idea where we want to help um, the same individuals just automate their uh, bookkeeping and uh, regulatory reporting. And it's still a lot of AI and ML um, and a little bit of you know manual verification. You mentioned in the AI and ML research you were doing mm-hmm. at Recurse Center, uh, pulling your own data from your different accounts mm-hmm. via API, and then what what were the kind of tools that you used or uh, home rolled uh, ML algorithms that you might have implemented? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you aren't using them today with the experiments you're running and uh, building a startup, but mm-hmm. what were what were the algorithms that you found were highest performing? That's a great question. Um, so maybe I'll talk about how I you know just did the project um, so on the back I'll start with the back end uh, I got some help setting up dot um, net core backend environment and it's very different than traditionally used like Django or Flask um, and with that I used a plaid API plaid as a startup in San Francisco that does banking aggregations and it has access to I think about 10,000 different banks these days. And so, you know, I personally bank with like five of them uh, and they're pretty well known. So Plaid was a good use case for that. And they have a sandbox environment where, you know, if you are a developer and you want to play around with your own data, it's completely free. So uh, that was great. And then uh, after I collected my own data, I just, you know, uh, wrote some algos in Python. And it's funny because you know, there's a lot of buzz about deep learning these days and neural networks and, uh, I don't know, TensorFlow and, and Keras and whatnot. And in my case, maybe because I didn't have, you know, that much data to work with, I found that uh, you, you can write algorithm just using like uh, linear regression, you know, out of uh, scikit-learn from Python, and that would work pretty well. Um, so what I did, I actually compared five different uh, algorithms to see you know how they perform against each other um, including random forest uh, linear regression I think it was k nearest neighbors and neural nets not from not not by tensorflow but at, straight out of uh, scikit-learn and I as far as I remember for, random forest was performing the best uh, and I know it was, you know, maybe not necessarily like super scientifically bulletproof, but that worked for, for my personal project. I'm curious about with APIs like Plaid or, um, or other ones that exist for pulling in transaction data mm-hmm. about financial accounts. You mentioned being interested in the B2B use case of performing analytics around financial accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether, whether those same APIs work for the types of financial accounts that businesses have, like their credit card accounts and, and checking accounts by which they pay out to vendors mm-hmm. or get paid by their customers. In your experience, 
is Plaid an ideal tool for this, or or is it the case that you end up often needing to roll your own when it comes to getting at to businesses mm-hmm. accounting data or, or financial transaction data? I think Plaid would actually be perfect for it because say if I um, if I'm a B two B startup and I want to work with different companies not having plaid would mean that i would have to go and integrate with apis of each individual bank right uh so plaid does ten thousand of them and it is not just simple api integrations it's also uh, data uh, massaging and all etl because let's say even you know in my little uh, personal use case I, i bank with citibank and chase and Transaction classifications between Citibank and Chase are very different. Uh, one can say I, I can go to a restaurant, and you know one can say oh it's food and beverages, um, let's say Citibank, and then Chase can say oh it's a restaurant, but they don't match in terms of description. So I would have to do some some logic, some sort of uh, algo that kind of uh, unifies the two. So what Plaid does is is that, and it was actually an interesting example somebody pointed out that even starbucks like the way it's the the naming is spelled in the transaction description it could be different so it could be starbucks with an apostrophe it could be starbucks without the s or it could be starbucks just one word with an s um, and so plaid uh, also uses a lot of machine learning and ai to to do that kind of a data unification and i i do see them essentially as a data engineering muscle that is super helpful for for businesses who don't want to do it on their own. And in all honesty, it's hard work. Uh, from my five years experience at Netflix, data engineering is eighty uh, percent of any success of any project, um, including machine learning. For sure, I, I'll <laughs> take your word for it. I think we all should. Uh, yeah, I I am curious about the types of skills that the types of muscles that you exercise in five years at Netflix whether there are specific skills that you learned there that are seemingly more applicable now that you're outside of the Netflix environment. What, what, what skills do you see the most crossover in uh, exploring startup ideas at this point? Yeah. Um, so when I came to Netflix, I basically knew a lot of SQL. I didn't really know any programming, any you know, any Python or any other, even big data tools like Hive and Spark and, and whatnot. And I love learning uh, on the go instead of, you know, sitting in a classroom and listening through a lecture and doing some sandbox examples, which are helpful, but they normally assume like the perfect world. It's like a super clean data, it's a very established schema and it's easy to work with, right? But then in real life, it's like, oh, we have so many gaps and we have to make so many assumptions in different models. <laughs> so that doesn't really work. It feels like you have a lot of experiences like that. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in the, in, in the big messy world out there, few people give a lot of care a priori to getting data uh, in a format that can be later easily analyzed. Yeah. Um, I think businesses do are businesses with experienced employees like yourself have a lot of perspective on okay we're, we have a business goal here mm-hmm. uh, what data are we going to need to capture a priori before we even know 
the conclusions that we're driving towards. Like um, for audience that don't know, you were working on marketing data at Netflix primarily? I was, yes. So the, I would imagine, and we don't need to be specific, that some of the goals there are probably around like uh, getting the most people to watch a given show. And even to measure that <laughs> and to have structured data that can be queried to see over time whether that goal is being reached requires a lot of forward thinking and, and having infrastructure in place that tracks this stuff, like yeah, whether absolutely. people view a, view a movie or not or a TV yeah. show. So. In marketing specifically, it is not internal data that we can control, right? It is third-party data that we get from our vendors, from the advertising platforms. So dealing with that, it's another layer of uh, complexity and uh, intricacy. <laughs> Yeah. I think one of the interesting things about a Netflix, though, and dealing with third parties giving you data as a Netflix is that you're Netflix. So the third parties will kind of cater to your needs and being responsive to you pointing out, oh, maybe data for the 3rd of August is missing. Exactly. What, what the heck, guys? <laughs> like, In contrast, outside of Netflix, there's... Uh, way more asymmetric relationship with a data provider where maybe a Facebook won't, you know, respond to your email if you tell them, hey, I'm not seeing data on August 3rd. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And as we worked at Netflix with our uh, advertising partners, we pushed them to develop their platforms to our liking. Mm -hmm. Some of them, the newer ones, they were, for example, not ready for A-B testing. They mm -hmm. didn't have the uh, platform set up. They didn't have, like, say, data science internal teams. So, as a big established company, we had that lever to pull. Um, versus now, I'm I'm going on my own, and I'm thinking, how am I going to do it? Is some of that maybe uh, thinking about spending money on advertising? Like, do you think by spending a non-zero amount of money on advertising that you'll be able to glean more from third-party data providers than if you were, you know? using a free Facebook page, for example, uh, which if for audience that don't know, you can create a Facebook page for your business at any time without paying Facebook any money. But if you wanna get more granular analytics about maybe which posts on your Facebook page mm -hmm. are getting more engagement, uh, getting that in a programmatic way, in a way that can be analyzed in a truly productive way might require spending money. So. Are you at the stage with the various startup experiments that you're looking at where you're thinking about spending money on paid traffic or um, paid customer acquisition? I think so. I think uh, definitely the amount of the budget is a, is a factor for any uh, startup or big company to work with advertising partners, uh, for sure. Organic would be the other way. It's really difficult to measure, though, um, at Netflix and I think anywhere else, how do you measure like word of mouth, right? Like how popular are you? Uh, it could be some maybe qualitative measure, like on a scale from one to five, but it's really difficult to measure. Like your popularity is 0.73, you know, percent uh, <laughs> out of some imaginary number. Um, yes, and another you know thing that I'm going with, kind of uh, with a startup idea is definitely relying on what's already out there in terms of what's been developed and maybe partnering up with other companies if other companies are looking for the same type of service or 
data from uh, advertising platforms per se, partnering up with them and kind of by the number of votes, you know, influencing the, the, those advertising partners. So I think there are different ways you can go about it for sure. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think yeah. we're all very curious about what you'll be up to next. Uh, thanks for coming on, Kat. Yeah, thank you so much, Max. <laughs>